choir and worship team a hand. Amen. We want to welcome you to Arden first. Um, we're so happy that you're here. If you're a first-time guest, if you'll notice, there's a connection card in front of you. We'd love to uh, be able to follow up on you. If you'd give us an email or some information, that would greatly help. A few um, announcements, and then we'll jump into the Word today. Um, this past Tuesday, how many of you volunteered at the Fall Fest? Raise your hand. We've got a lot of you here. We were hoping for at least 100 people to show up because we haven't done a Fall Fest in a few years, and we kind of lost count. We, our best estimate is probably around 200, 250 people showed up. And, um, yeah, we, we had a gospel booth, and we were able to share the gospel one-on-one with at least 62 kids that came. So uh, special thanks to Glenda for planning this out. Another great ministry event. Uh, Paul Hunt and his family wanted to thank you for their prayers on behalf of the passing of his father. Um, if you guys would continue to lift him up, but he, his family appreciates the prayers going his way and will continue to lift him up. On that note, let us pray. Father, we thank you that you're good and thank you that the gospel is still powerful and changes lives. Father, we ask and pray as we look into your word today that you would speak to your hearts, that you would make it clear of what Christ is to us, how he wants to change our lives and hearts. Help us to realize it's about heart change that transforms into a life change. Father, we do lift up the Hunt family as uh, they're grieving the loss of Paul's father, that you just comfort them and everything they're going through. Father, we pray for all the children that heard the gospel this week at our fall festival, that the the gospel would take roots and that uh, many would come to Christ through this event. Father, we thank you for all you're doing and all that you're going to do here at Arden First. May our lives be forever changed, and we will be forever grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in James chapter 4. If you want to turn your Bibles there, you can look in your bulletin. There's a listening guide. I was reminded of a story by Thomas Carlyle. Many of you remember the famous author. Uh, His story was interesting because he ended up marrying his secretary, Jane Welsh. The problem is Thomas was like the typical workaholic, even though he got married um, he didn't spend a lot of time with Jane, and he just kept working and writing and writing. And eventually his wife grew terminally ill, but unfortunately it didn't slow down Thomas. He kept on writing. He's a famous author. And before he knew it, his wife passed away, and it was raining that day when they carried Jane's body to the cemetery. And he went to go to her service, and as he was walking back, and his feet was walking through the mud the muddy path back to his home. He went up to Jane's room and he was sitting in her room and he went through her diary and he came across a single line. It said, yesterday he spent an hour with me. It was like heaven. I love him so. He kept reading through his diary. One line said, I listened all day to hear his footsteps in the hall, but now it's late and I guess he won't come home today. So, As soon as he read that line, he took Jane's diary, slung it across the room, and ran to the graveside where his lovely bride had just been buried. And he said two words, if only. If only I had known how much she loved for me, I would have spent more time for. If only I knew how much she cared for me, life would have been differently. Those are the two of the saddest words in the American vocabulary, if only. Because it implies a possibility that something could have been changed. So today's text, James is going to help us to 
not say if only, but since then. We're going to talk about what would it be like if from this moment on we lived our lives as though Jesus were in our shoes. How would that be different if Jesus walked in your tennis shoes? How would you live life differently? How would you respond? We're going to talk about how it would change your attitude, but also on a practical standpoint, it will change your planning, how you make plans. How many of you are ready to jump into God's Word today? Say amen. amen. All right, James 4, and we're going to read verses 11 through 17. Starting in verse 11, it says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. For he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother, speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and shall do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. May God bless his word. So just out of curiosity, how many of you would say you're planners in the congregation? You love planning out. You, you have the to-do list. For those of you who have smartphones, you have the bullet point list, the wonder list, and you try to itemize that pastor friends, he has like 80 to 100 items every day that he tries to itemize and delegate. I'm like, wow. How many of you would say you're more spontaneous? Raise your hand. You kind of go with the flow. Your, your motto is blessed are the flexible for they shall never be broken. Um, you make planners a little antsy because you're subject to change when the emotion changes. Um, and some of us probably are in the middle. On certain days we're more planners, certain days we're more spontaneous. So in this text, uh, James is going to take us through life. He's going to deal, first of all, with our attitudes, and then he's going to talk about planning. So I think it's going to be very practical today. So first of all, if Jesus were in your shoes, how would he live life differently than you're living? The first point is this. Stop acting like you're the judge, the jury, and the executioner. Stop acting like you're the judge, the jury, and the executioner. And some of you have heard that phrase before. It basically means someone that acts like they can establish a sentence and carry it out. They're the judge, they're the jury, and they're the executioner. Look at verse 11. It says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. For he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? So what James is saying, he's not saying that you can't be a fruit inspector, because the Bible clearly says, by the fruits you shall know them. He's not saying you can't confront someone. But what he's saying is, to, to walk like Jesus walked, we don't develop a pharisaical attitude. You ever met someone that has a pharisaical attitude? They can see wrong in everybody but themselves. They're good, but everyone else is on the, on the downside. So James says, don't speak evil. And the idea of that word, it comes from the word where we get our word slander. Um, and it's fact, my dad reminded me of this recently. Did you know Satan, one of his names, the Greek name for devil means slanderer? So whenever we slander people, that's actually what Satan does. 
And we're, we're acting more like him than Jesus where he were walking in her shoes. Many of you are familiar with the famous pastor Chuck Swindoll and listened to him on the radio. He was telling a story about how when he was in seminary, he was one of the class presidents. And there was a missionary that came and spoke. And it's, it's hard speaking to a seminary because you've got all pastors and you're speaking pastor speaking to pastor. So the missionary spoke and he bombed the message. It was just a horrible message, boring it sent everybody off in Nodland. And Swindoll, in his early days, um, had a little sharper tongue. And he said, that guy must be unprepared. I mean, just listen, he's a bore. And he started to part his message. And all of a sudden, one of the younger classmates that was much younger than Swindoll pulled him aside and said, Chuck, did you realize that two hours before he got up to speak, did you realize what happened? And Swindoll said, I have no idea. He said he just got a phone call from his wife that his youngest son had just died two hours before he got up and spoke. And in fact, three months before that, his wife was diagnosed with terminal cancer. So you don't know all the facts. Talk about putting someone in their place. And from then on, Chuck Swindoll realized, I've got to be careful what I say. And he says, I quote, far too often Christians criticize others before we get all the facts. We observe and invent catch a few words of a conversation, or gather a handful of random facts. We then leap to conclusions and start flapping our jaws about it. The jabbering starts on and spreads like wildfire. Before you know it, the gossip becomes news. There's nothing more contagious in a church, student body, business, staff, organization, or home than a negative spirit. And he goes on to say, the, in, the infection is contagious. It spreads like a cold in kindergarten. I thought that was catchy. So basically, James is saying, listen, it's okay to analyze things, but it's not okay to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. Because there's only one person who has all the facts, and who is that? It's God. So if you don't have all the facts, you can't judge the same way God judges. Now, granted, we have a lot of people in our culture that if you try to confront them, about something, they'll say, well, you can't, doesn't the Bible say do not judge? Well, the Bible says judge not lest you be judged, but with the measurement you judge, you will be judged. So the Bible doesn't condemn analyzing and try to critique someone, but it does condemn having a pharisaical attitude, meaning I'm not willing to search my heart. I'm just willing to see the faults in you. So if Jesus were walking in my shoes, he wouldn't have a judgmental, critical attitude. He would call out the facts, but he would do the truth in love. Amen? It's like the old sermon I heard a long time ago. You guys ever heard the sermon of the Tater family? Anybody ever heard that sermon? Nobody, right? Well, it goes like this. Beware of the members of the Tater family. First of all, you have the dictator. The dictator basically bosses people around. He never serves at work, but he barks out commands. That's the dictator. Then you have the imitator. The imitator loves to follow the latest fad and trend, but never willing to be original and authentic. Have you ever heard of the hesitator? The hesitator, whenever you ask the hesitator to do something, he or she hesitates. Thus, hesitator. Then you have the commentator. The commentator has an opinion about every subject under the sun. No matter what it is, commentator is going to give you a dialogue and a script, much like you'd see on the news channel. Then you have the spectator. The spectator loves work, watching work, but not doing work. Doesn't like to get involved, but it's a great observer. One of our favorites is the agitator. 
You ever met the agitator? They love to stir up conflict. But there's one member of the tater family that we're to be like, and that's the sweet tater. The sweet tater is loving and kind. It's the ideal member of a family or a church. Um, she doesn't dictate, imitate, hesitate, commentate, spectate, or agitate, but she participates. And she en- enlivens the atmosphere. So when James says, don't speak evil, he says, watch out for the members of the tater family. Don't be like the agitator, dictator, spectator, any of the other taters, except the, what, sweet tater. So now you guys can preach that sermon, potato family. All right, let's continue on. If I were to walk as Jesus were in my shoes, number two, don't start to plan without first consulting the one who already knows the future. Look at verse 13. It says, come now, you who say, today, tomorrow, we'll go in such and such a city. Spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. It reminds me of a story I heard about this uh, social light in Savannah, Georgia. Anybody ever been to Savannah, Georgia? Okay. Some of you need to go there after you're hearing a story. Well, this was a social light. She loved to have company over her house. And her famous recipe was a crab salad. And I got a picture. Yummy crab salad. And this was the highlight of, of, her, of her dinner. So she brought all the who's who's of Savannah. They all came to her house. And before that, something happened that was a mishap. She had this little cat. And as soon as she set it on the counter and went around the house to straighten up, this little cat got into the crab salad and started devouring it. She was just gone a few minutes. So she came back and she grabbed the cat, threw the cat outside, and she's like, what do I do? The company's coming in just a few minutes. I don't have time to make another crab salad. So she got the little pieces that looked like had been bitten by the cat or saliva on it. She got those pieces out and she, you know, tousled it, um, added a few more things to it, made it look made it look like it did before. And then the company came and she said, I'm not going to say anything to anyone because I mean, what harm will a cat do? I mean, they have probably have cleaner mouths than we do. I don't know what her logic was. So um, the company came. And she sat there and they were ranting and raving about this crab salad. They, they had seconds and they just kept eating. And all went well into the party until she looked outside. And she saw her cat and it was dead in her yard. So now she's at a dilemma. What do I do? It's got to be the crab salad. I mean, that was the last thing the cat ate. This is a true story. So she didn't know what to do. So she basically said, I better just... Come, come clean and tell the truth, because if it was something in the salad, this could be toxic for my guests. So she came clean and told the guests, you can imagine, ladies, how it'd be hard breaking the news. She said, I've got to tell you what happened. Right before you guys came, the cat got in the salad, and I looked outside, and she gave the story, the cat's now dead. So she had, she's like, we've got to go now to the hospital. And all of the guests went and had their stomachs pumped out, just to make sure. They didn't know if there was something bad. So they left there looking very sheepish and obviously very upset. The social light had let them down. It was the dinner that turned into a party from, let's just say, not not good. So she got home and she got a knock on her door and it was her neighbor. And her neighbor said, I didn't want to bother you because I saw you had company. But right when I was pulling in, your cat jumped in front of my car. And I happened to run over the cat and I put the cat in your yard until I could tell you, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she said, I'm sorry too. 
So she's like, had to go tell her friends what really happened. But we can make plans. And you ever notice how your plans sometimes go downhill? And this is what James is saying. He says, come now. He's basically saying, listen, guys, um, you have a great plan today or tomorrow. We'll go in such and such city, buy and sell. And here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with having a plan. There's nothing wrong with starting a business. There's nothing wrong with making a profit. But what was wrong here? They left one thing out. Jesus wasn't anything in their plans. And before we get set with the person who did this, James, don't we do it ourselves? Don't we make plans and we forget to pray about it? Don't we go ahead and we plan out something great and then something happens and God's remind us, listen, you're not sovereign. I am. So James is trying to encourage us, listen, when you make plans, don't forget I need to be at the center of your plans. And by the way, I already know the future. So if you're planning the future, it just seems like a common sense to consult the one who already knows the future before it takes place. Just saying. Number three, how would my life change if I lived as though Jesus were in my shoes? Number three, there's two key factors in making plans. Recognize the brevity of life and remember who is in charge. Recognize the brevity of life and who is in charge. Look at verse 14. It gives us the reason why we can't make plans without concerning God, consulting God. It says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. How many of us know life is short? You know, it's so short. Many of you can think back when you were five or ten. How many of you can remember back that far? And it seems like yesterday. And it's just gone so quickly. You know, there's a verse in the Psalms that says, teach us to what? Number our days. Have you ever done that? Did you know if you live to be 80, it's just a little less than 30,000 days? If you live to be 80. If we have 10 more years to live, if God grants us all 10 more years, that's just 3,650 days. If we have one year to live, how many is that? Just 365 days. So when the Bible tells us the number of days... It's saying live life as a gift because there's no present like the present. And it's like, it's a gift. So the thing is, if we're going to do life and we're going to make plans, there's nothing wrong with planning. But God wants you to be realize, listen, I need to be front and center of your plans. Because what is your purpose anyways? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The purpose of life is not to make a lot of money, which it's great if you do. The purpose of life is not to, you know, travel the world, but that's great if you do. The purpose of life is to enjoy God and glorify Him. So I want to give you, on your listening out, if you'll notice, six practical tips for making plans. And James tells us to put God in the middle of our plans. Well, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked that question. Six practical plans. Number one, pray first and plan second. How many of us plan and then, oh, I've got to throw in a prayer just to make sure God's in it. Pray first and plan second. Number two, place God at the center of your plans. I love the psalm there, 121. Except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Number three, get wise advice when planning. As the scripture says in the multitude of counselors, there's what? Safety. So get advice. If you're starting a business, that's a great thing. If you're thinking about a career change, if you're planning retirement, 
It's good to get people to consult. Number four, expect the unexpected. I love the parable about the two men building a house. One built the house on the rock, one built the house on the sand. The thing is, the rain came and the storms came on both of them. The unexpected will happen, so expect that. Number five, be ready to make adjustments. Have a backup plan. What happens if your plan gets changed? Is your plan crushed and thrown to the ground, or have you prayed about it? Has God given you another option? I wrote there in the reference of Acts 16, where Paul was on his missionary journey, and the Spirit prevented him from going to a certain place. And all of a sudden, it says, go to Macedonia. God redirected him in his steps, and that will happen to us as well. And how many teachers do we have in the room? Raise your hand, teachers. Got a lot of school teachers in here. You'll hear teachers say this, set up daily reachable goals to help you reach your big goal. Teachers often used to say, how do you eat elephant one bite at a time? So set up up small goals. But something always to remember is God's will always trumps your will. Proverbs 16.9 says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. A story from the medieval time period, Peter, Peter Walden, very wealthy family. And he had a lot going for him in life, but he had no concern for his soul. And as he was, another dinner story, as he was eating dinner one day, someone just fell over and died. And that was his same age, you could not believe, some, a, a young man, his same age. So it really got a hold of him. And he began to seek after God at that point. And according to history... He led the strongest missionary movement that existed before the Reformation. And he sent out late missionaries to preach the gospel two by two throughout Europe. And that was all because someone died and got his attention. We never know what will happen tomorrow. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, It says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Aren't you glad that God has plans? Now, we have plans. But did you know that God's plans are much greater And a lot more thought out than our plans are because he knows all of your history from beginning to end. He knows the day we take our first breath. And by the way, he knows the day we're going to take our last breath. All of our days are in his hands. And that should give us such peace and security. One of my favorite scriptures is Psalm 37, 23. It says, the Lord directs the step of the godly, steps of the godly. And listen to this. He delights in every detail of their lives. Aren't you glad that God delights in every detail? He knows that everything about you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Keep them there, Lord. <laughs> he knows everything. There's a man in his mid-middle ages, at the age of 40. He was fired from the sawmill where he'd worked many years. And he didn't know what to do. I mean, he had worked at this company. And his wife looked at him and said, what's your plan now? And he said, well, I'm going to do what I've always wanted to do. I want to build. I want to build. So this guy that was about to obviously lose everything decided, I'm going to go after what I feel like God's made me for, and that's to be an architect, a builder. So he mortgaged his house, and he built two small buildings. And later he branched into the hotel business that later became the Holiday Inn. In five years, he went from losing his job at the sawmill to being a millionaire. And he said, I quote, Today, if I could locate the man who fired me, I would sincerely thank him for what he did. At the time it happened, I didn't understand. Later, 
I saw that it was God's unerring and wondrous plan to get me into this, his way of his choosing. What if God turned your setback into a setup? What if getting fired became the best thing that ever happened to you? See, we make plans, but God says, listen, you may plan your way, but I'm the one who directs the steps. A story that many of you don't know about this church. I used to live just a mile down the road on Birch Lane. And it was right when you guys had lost my resume here. And I lived just down the road. What I didn't realize is God answered that with a yes, but it was, you've got to wait four years. The church has got to get ready. You've got to get ready. And then history is everything around. And God brought me back to the place where I started years ago. Isn't that cool how God works? Well, thank you. Thank you. Amen. And number four, always remember to do the good that you already know to do each and every day. Verse 16 says, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now, here's the idea. As I mentioned, there's nothing wrong with starting a business, nothing wrong with making money, nothing wrong with having plans. What is wrong is having I in the center of it. You remember last week we talked about the center letter of pride is I. So this this entrepreneur, this great aggressive businessman, what James says is, listen, you're missing something. Guess who gave you your intelligence? Guess who gave you your ability to make money? Guess who gave you the, the mind to make plans? It's me. And why would you leave me out of the plans if I'm the one who gave you all this God-given ability? Listen, if God doesn't breathe in your lungs, you don't breathe out. He gives you the very next breath. So, what James would encourage us to do is put pride aside in your life. Verse 16 says, basically, get rid of arrogance. I listed a few things on your listening guide about pride. Pride leads to disgrace. It leads to quarrels. You ever see people that are fighting, usually in the center of a quarrel is someone's prideful. Pride leads to destruction. Pride leads to failure. Pride leads to you getting put back in your place to be humbled. And everybody said, ouch. Pride cuts you off from God's grace, as we talked about last week. Not only is sin not doing what we know we shouldn't do, but have we thought about recently that sin is also not doing what we know to do? Look back at verse 17. It says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it was sin. A little insight into the original language, the, the Greek word for sin is barred from the world of archery. And the idea is you have a target. And whenever you sin, it means you miss the target, you miss the mark. So what James is saying is missing the mark Sinning is not just crossing a line, it's transgressing, but it's also God has a will and we miss it. So that adds a lot of conviction to us. Think about how many times you or myself missed a mark. I mean, I could just go down the list. How many times is there someone that's helpless that I didn't help? I could think of many times. How many times does God say, I want to spend time with you, and we, we skip spending time with him? How many times, men, do we know that we're to lead our family spiritually and we don't? We don't, we don't pray with our, our, our families or our spouse. We know we, we, should, we just... And then James is saying, it, sin is not just doing bad things. Sin is not doing the good things you should do. So think about that. So something I want you guys to take into heart is there's many things in our lives that we know we're to stay away from. But if we'll just focus on the good things we know to do, we'd have a lot less time to do the bad things we're trying to keep away from, Right? And it goes back to the original in James. 
where he says, don't be the judge, the jury, the executioner. He said, don't, don't speak evil against someone. And the idea, it's the old expression, those who are rowing the boat have no time to rock the boat. You guys ever heard that? So I think to, to conclude, if we'll just realize that the whole Invictus, you guys ever remember the Invictus, I am the master of my own destiny, the captain of my own soul, that's foolishness. Instead, I want you to look at your listening guide. It's a famous, um, many of you have heard the song, Take My Life. It's by Francis Ridley Havergale. I want to read these, these words as we conclude. And think about as we conclude, what would Jesus do were he in your shoes? It says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my voice and let me sing, always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from Thee. Take my will and make it Thine. It shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is Thine. It shall be Thy royal throne. Amen. So just a brief review. We've talked about today. What, how would your life be different? Your attitude and your planning and your actions if Jesus were walking in your shoes. We talked about number one, stop acting, acting like you're the judge, the jury, and the executioner. Nothing wrong to speak the truth, but there is something wrong with having a pharisaical attitude. Number two, don't start to plan without first consulting the one who already knows the future. So as you plan next year, as you plan 2018, let us all start with prayer and ask God to show us what, what his will is. Number three, there's two key factors in making plans. Recognize the brevity of life and realize who's in charge. Number four, always remember to do the good that you already know to do each and every day. To summarize this, your take-home truth, living like a Christian is doing what Jesus would do were he in your shoes. And the question I want you guys to talk about at lunch is that question. How would Jesus live if he were in your shoes? If he was retired in your neighborhood, how would Jesus live? If he were working at your job, if he was in your family, how would Jesus live were he in your shoes? Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and your grace. And God, I'm really challenged by this truth. God, I'm really challenged. That God, I need to live my life as though Jesus were in my shoes. And right now, as we're praying, I just want to talk first to the believer I want to challenge you as you're praying to draw near to God and realize that he'll draw near to you. Repent of any sins that he's brought to your mind. Submit to his lordship. Ask, ask him to help you not just to stay away from the bad, but to pursue the good. Are you being faithful with your family? Are you being faithful with your church attendance? Are you being faithful with the good things you know to do? Otherwise, if, you, if you're not faithful, James says to him who knows the good to do and does it do it, it's sin. God, forgive us for those areas in our life. And as you continue to pray and deal with God, I want to speak to someone that may be seeking out the Lord. Today, the scripture says to number your days, to apply your heart to wisdom. If you've never given your life to Jesus, every Sunday we give everyone a chance to respond to the gospel. It's really simple. If you're willing to believe that Jesus Christ loves you and he died for your sins and he rose again, and you're willing to surrender your life, take my life and let it be, Lord. Consecrate it to Him. If you're willing to surrender to Him, the Bible says that Jesus will forgive you of your past. 
And He will set your life up with a beautiful plan beyond your wildest dreams. Right where you're sitting, if you'll just pray a prayer in your own words, like, Jesus, I realize I need you. I realize I've done this too much on my own. I've made plans. I live my life without you being in the center of them. So, Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. I pray that you would step out of heaven and into my heart. I make you my Lord and my Savior. I turn from the old lifestyle, the old sinful ways, and I turn to you. Jesus, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to you. Friend, if you prayed that prayer as we get ready to finish this prayer, come see us at the front. We want to celebrate this new life. Father, you've heard our prayers. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time, if you would please stand. We're going to have our closing song. If the Lord has spoken to you about some area in your life, maybe it's something good that God's laid on your heart that you know you should be doing and you've held back and you're willing to take the next step, we want to pray for you. Uh, whether it be an area of your life where you know, maybe you're not as close to God as you'd like to be. We talked about last week, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. I'll be at the front. Adam, Judy, our prayer team will be here to pray for you. So respond as the Lord leads.